0: or wherever you listen.
1: In the world that we live in, we're told to be sexual in these very specific, mainstream ways, but it's not one size fits all. It's about us, it's about our bodies, it's about what we want. Welcome to How To,
2: the show where we take your toughest questions, the questions you don't know whom to ask, and tackle them with the help of the wisest people we know. I'm Amanda Ripley. Quick warning this episode is not safe for work, nor is it appropriate for young years. So, if this one isn't for you, we'll see you next week. But if you do stick around, you're in for a good one. It's not often that we get such a vulnerable question to the how to hotline.
3: Okay, so I'm Brenda. I am a student currently in New York studying uh, for a master's in mental health counseling. I also work at a grocery store to pay tuition. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Um, Brenda, can you tell us a little bit about the question that's on your mind?
3: Um, So the question that's been on my mind is essentially how to orgasm because I'm still exploring sexuality and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I find that while I am very romantic, I wonder whether or not I'm asexual, like whether or not I feel sexual attraction because it seems like I'm missing out on something that's kind of, I don't know. I don't think important is the right word, but like, you know, I'm missing out.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is the feeling one of frustration? Is it more one of worry? How, how does this make you feel?
3: Uh, So frustrated for sure. Um, Depending on my state, like I could go down to, you know, feeling inferior, feeling broken, like, my body isn't acting the way everybody says that bodies work or that other people have experienced. What's what's up with my body?
2: Brenda isn't alone. One in three women say they don't always or even usually experience an orgasm during sex. And some studies have found that nearly one in ten don't experience orgasms ever. In our hypersexualized culture, it can start to feel like there's something really wrong with you.
3: Sex is very much in the media, and orgasms are like like, if I ask people, like, am I missing out? Or, like, if I tell them that I haven't experienced this, they're like, oh, my gosh, you haven't? Like, have you tried? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Can I help you? And, and so it makes me think, like, like, it should be simpler.
2: So why isn't it simpler? The author Catherine Smith wrote in The Atlantic last year that the female orgasm has been the subject of a massive misinformation campaign for more than 2,000 years, since the days of Aristotle. We'll link to her piece in the show notes, but suffice to say over the centuries, the female orgasm has been this enduring mystery, kind of like Stonehenge. (laughs) What is it for? Which is one reason why it can be so bewildering for people like Brenda to understand what's going on. What have you tried thus far?
3: Exploring with partners that I trust. um, Like I have anxiety disorder as it is. And then when I feel stimulated, I'm pretty sure what other people call a buildup that then is supposed to lead to the release of an orgasm. For me, that buildup feels like anxiety because then my heart's racing. I, I, I'm hmm. breathing more fast. I'm feeling weird. I'm not feeling in control. It feels like anxiety to me. And and then that's not pleasant. And so usually it's like I, I can't handle something. And like the one time I tried to push through it with a vibrator, I remember having a panic attack after. So that was very unpleasant. Hmm. Um,
2: and so... For most people, sexuality, gender identity is a journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your own journey as figuring out, you know, who you are?
3: It feels complicated. As a kid, I was, you know, cisgender woman. I was a a girly little kid, very happy-go-lucky. But at some point, like stereotypes made me not like being associated with femininity. I didn't want to be obviously one gender. I wanted to be able to just like be me and not be judged so mm-hmm. i started dressing more androgynously in college i met somebody who is a gender or non-binary and they kind of explained to me how there's this social construct where female is the medical term and like female just means xx chromosome mm-hmm. but then woman is something you can choose and it means something in society and it means something different for everyone and anyway, so i decided that i would identify as a gender and that's how i've been ad- identifying for the past couple of years So that's the gender part, the sexual part. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so like Mm. sex definitely never came up into this. Uh, Mm. So I was I was like in a bubble. I didn't start dating until college. Right now I'm actually in an open relationship and exploring that. And that's its own confusion. So I feel like I have a lot of things I'm very uncertain about as a 26 year old.
2: I don't know. I feel like you've done a lot and you've also asked people for help, right? Asked professionals for help and um, explored and experimented and... I mean, I wonder when you reached out to us, it struck me that there was this question underneath the question. And the question was, is this question even valid? Is, it, oh, is yeah, that right?
3: Yeah. It's a taboo topic, first of all. Like, For I, sure, I, I yeah. asked this question because you had that podcast episode of like how to have the best sex of your life. So I'm like, oh, okay. So they're like able to talk about these things. And so that that gave me the confidence to like actually ask.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Um, I don't know, maybe it's like, could I say it feels like a first world problem? Is that what's stopping me? Because mm. then it's like, even with my therapist, I guess like there are, are times where I will be nervous about bringing up a problem that I think shouldn't be a problem. Like I don't think I deserve your attention for this. Like use mm. your resources for something more more important.
2: And yet, it's lingering. It feels like something might be broken. So those aren't trivial feelings, and and so I am glad that you reached out, and and I am certain that there are thousands of listeners who have similar questions. Um, If we were to just go totally blue sky, what would your ideal sexual experience look and feel like?
3: I I might like want to have a higher libido so that when I'm with partners, they can like feel the love and attraction I have for them as opposed to just hear it, but then not have the action to support it. Mm. And, um, like I can, I can please them. And then they have the ability to please me. Definitely a connection. Like I want sex to be something that me and my partner both feel good about. And I think right now, it brings up frustration in both of us.
2: Okay. All right. That was really helpful. Thank you. Evianne, I want to bring you in here.
1: What's your initial reaction to hearing Brenda's story so far? Oh, I have so many thoughts, so many feelings. Uh, As I listen to Brenda speak, I can really empathize and identify a lot with what they're saying um, because I have had the same experiences and the same frustrations. You know, feeling stuck, feeling like I was missing out on some sexual experiences or sexual sensations that other people were experiencing, but I just wasn't.
2: Evian Whitney is an educator, author, and host of the podcast Sensual Self. Like Brenda, Evian uses they, them pronouns, and they've helped all kinds of people learn to feel good in their bodies. So today's advice will be a little more explicit than usual to answer Brenda's original question, but We'll also cover some surprising insights for reconnecting to non-sexual pleasure, no matter who you are or what your body's capable of. Stay with us.
0: Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs. The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen.
2: Growing up, Evian never would have guessed in a million years that they'd become a sex educator or sexuality doula,
1: as they call it. I was raised in a conservative Christian home, signed a purity contract when I was eight, was taught abstinence-only sex education. I realized in my early 20s that my sexuality didn't feel like it belonged to me. It felt elusive and It also felt like it was shrouded with a lot of dogma and shame. Mm. And I really wanted to not have that experience anymore. Like very much like Brenda, I was like, God, all of my friends are talking about, you know, having these incredible, fun sexual experiences with their partners. And I'm over here feeling like I am just now beginning to understand who I am as a sexual being outside of all of these narratives that I'd been given about how sex is bad and I should not have it and do not trust the voice of your desires and pleasure is the pathway to sin. And ultimately, I didn't want to become a sex educator. I just was really curious about my own sexuality and I started... Exploring very publicly, you know, some of these questions that I was having about my gender, about my sexual orientation, about the sexual shame and trauma that I had experienced. And the more that I talked about it publicly, the more that folks really resonated with my story and started wanting me to be their teacher. And I learn by teaching, but I'm also giving back to the younger versions of myself that didn't get comprehensive sex education and wasn't told that, like, you should prioritize your pleasure and that there's nothing wrong with you if you don't have sex or you don't feel desire in the ways that other people feel desire. So
2: It's kind of incredible, right? I mean, it's inspiring to go from having signed a purity contract at age eight to being a sexuality doula, right? Mm. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got like my sexuality doula cap on and I'm, I just have so many questions. I I, I really just want to dive in. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Brenda, I want to know like what kind of relationship do you have with pleasure in general?
3: For seven or so years, I've been struggling with depression. And so um, in 2019, I took a gap year from my PhD program to just try to, feel pleasure in anything because i was so depressed and miserable that like ice cream watching tv dancing dogs rock climbing i love rock climbing right now but like none of Mm. that would bring me pleasure like i was just feeling horrible i had no reason to get out of bed etc so so pleasure Mm. was what i was searching for and now that i think i'm able to experience some of that like i think i slowly healed over that time where i just like focused on self-care um then i worry about being a bit hedonistic like if I go too far with any form of pleasure, then what if I don't attend to my responsibilities or spend all my money? So I'm trying to just calibrate that.
1: And has that happened before? Like, have you had experiences where you the pendulum swung all the way over to pleasure so much that uh, it got in, in this sort of excessive space where it was like, oh, all of my responsibility is completely out the window. Cause I was so fixated on pleasuring myself. Like, has that happened before to you?
3: I, I don't think it has. Like, as soon as you said that question, it's like, oh yeah, I'm afraid of this thing that's never happened. I just hear about it happening.
1: hmm The reason why I ask that question, I hear this a lot in my work. And for some people that's like true, but I've noticed that the people who are like, oh my God, I'm so concerned that I'm going to become a hedonist. They're not going to become a hedonist (laughs) because they have, they have so like internalized this idea of what it means to like lose themselves. Basically what I'm saying is that I think you have a lot more self-control than you think you do. And what I'd be curious about for you is Exploring what it looks like for you to trust your own pleasure desires and your pleasure curiosities.
3: That sounds uh, very like validating and um, what's the word?
1: like empowering. One of the reasons why, actually, I wanted to ask you this question about pleasure is because you kind of strike me as a a heady person, like someone who analyzes a lot, who thinks a lot. Um, I, in full disclosure, have an anxiety disorder. I've had an anxiety disorder since I was like 13. So I really resonate um, with how your mental health is really connected to your ability to feel pleasure and um, particularly to potentially experience orgasm. I just wonder if um, you upped the pleasure in your life a little bit more, if that would also help to create more possibility for pleasure Hmm. um, in a sexual context.
3: That definitely makes sense. Like if in general, I listen to my body and try to do more of what feels good for it.
2: (laughs) Here's our first insight. Give yourself permission to spend time on pleasure of any kind. It can be rock climbing or curling up with a book, whatever makes you feel good. But what happens when you move from non-sexual pleasure
1: to sexual pleasure and things aren't meeting your expectations? Oh my goodness. I remember Brenda actually mentioned that they might be on the A-spectrum. And one of the biggest revelations that I had in my journey was realizing that I was on the a spectrum. And uh, for those who don't know, um, a spectrum is just another way of saying asexuality spectrum. Uh, I think a lot of us grew up with this understanding that asexuality is very binary. You're either asexual or you're not. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest pieces of liberation for me was realizing that um, Asexuality is fluid. Uh, it is on a spectrum that you can fall on that spectrum based on the relationship you're in, based on where you're at hormonally, based on where you're, what your age is, and things like that. So just to clarify here,
2: because it can be confusing, even within the LGBTQ plus family, asexuality isn't often talked about. Our understanding of what it means to be asexual or ace has shifted over time. Most aces experience little or no sexual attraction, but that doesn't mean that they aren't drawn to romantic or emotional intimacy. And some also choose to have sex, but limit it to certain people or even solo.
1: I would love to recommend to you, Brenda, if you haven't read it already, uh, it's a book called Ace. It's by Angela Chen, and it is a really incredible book about asexuality, but also sort of an, an interrogation around compulsory sexuality, like this world that we live in that is hypersexualized, mm-hmm. while also being um, very sex-shamey at the same time and really trying to interrogate these parts of us that have... Internalize, and I think something that you've internalized too, Brenda through your struggle with not having an orgasm like if I am not having sex or feeling desire or having a libido that the mainstream has told me that I should have there's something wrong with me and I have to change that
3: my confusion now is like okay sex is sex is a certain way and then being asexual is a certain way and right now, I think I feel like there's an incongruence between my actions in relationships and then my claiming to be asexual,
1: yeah. um i I understand your confusion. The one thing that was mind-shattering for me is realizing that to be asexual means that you can have sex. <laughs> yeah, um, you can be you can be an ace person and have sex. I'm wondering if there's a part of you that feels like, well, this is something that I have to have because everybody else is having it. And if I don't have it, then there's something wrong with me where, and I'm not saying that you're wrong to want it. Orgasm is great. But at the same time, I wonder if there's that pressure that's being put on you that, um, yeah, that that there's something wrong with you. And if that pressure was released, maybe there could be more room for your pleasure. And I also wonder,
2: Brenda, You've talked a little bit about how you've had partners who have been pretty supportive. Um, what about when you try to have an orgasm on your own? How does the solo experience go for you?
3: That's usually where I I find that I can kind of get some enjoyment. And then I just end up feeling sore before like anything okay. much happens. And then it's just like, well, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to keep going. Um, I acknowledge that alone. I'm uh, very cautious i guess with my body because um i mean i do experience gender dysphoria i kind of think my body's gross and so that that doesn't help i'm sure when i'm trying to because like these thoughts are in my head as, as mm-hmm. Evian points out like yeah i'm doing a lot of thinking and analyzing and i'm not quite sure how to just like do things like instinctively
2: so is it harder alone than with someone
3: it is for me i do prefer yeah. being with someone
1: I'm really glad that you asked that question about solo sex practices. It sounds like a lot of your sexual experiences, um, at least when you're solo, has been from this place of like, um, I don't know if troubleshooting is the right word, but it it just sounds like. <laughs> okay, I'll use that word then. Like this this place of of troubleshooting, which like listen, sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be free. You're supposed to go with the flow. And I realize as I'm saying this that a lot of folks aren't able to access that freedom and that flow within their sexuality. And that's one of the reasons why I am a proponent of self-pleasuring because that can be a space that you create with your own time, with your own energy. You can stop or start whenever you want to where you can begin to explore that freedom and that flow. And then when you have those experiences, with other people, you can use that information in those experiences and, um, you know, be very open about like, yeah, this is, this is where I like to be touched. Of course, if you're feeling any pain, it's
2: always a good idea to consult a doctor and make sure you're exploring in a way that doesn't bring you discomfort.
1: So, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask some like um, logistical and also personal questions that Mm -hmm. you (laughs) are welcome to not answer if they feel too personal. But I'm just so curious about um, what's going on in the back end. And I really want to see if I can help you solve this conundrum. Okay. Yeah. So, when you are pleasuring yourself solo, what are you using?
3: I've tried a vibrator like a couple times.
1: Can I ask what vibrator you use?
3: I think I did have a strong one. It was one of those um, wand things. Oh, Lord, Jesus.
1: Okay. (laughs) No wonder. No wonder. Okay. That's why I was asking because not all vibrators are created equal. So I think a wand could be useful perhaps if it's on a low setting, Otherwise, I would lovingly suggest, like putting the wand away and finding something that has a little bit less of um, a high frequency kind of buzz. Because, yeah, th- these vibrators—I'm some of them. I'm just like I don't know how folks <laughs> use them because they're so strong. I have another question: um, Are you using loop when you are touching yourself?
3: I haven't in the past. I might have tried once, but uh, it's. I haven't used it commonly by myself
1: please 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 use lube um lube is like even if you think that you don't need it lube is going to be super super helpful in creating less friction and it just feels a lot better um when you're exploring your body
3: okay i, I like that can i ask you a question? Please. Yes. um, Am I supposed to have some sort of craving or desire for this? Like some sexual craving or desire? Because, like, for instance, if I I, if I want ice cream, I know that I go get ice cream. I'm pleasured. But Mm. like sexually, I I don't. By myself, at least, I definitely don't feel a desire to like, oh, touch myself here, touch myself there, do it this way, do it mm-hmm. that way. Which is again why the vibrator came into play because I hear, okay, well, this is what other people do, so probably that's what's going to do it for me, because um, I don't really know what what I'm looking for. Um, and since it seems like you had a similar struggle with this stuff, how did you go about figuring out what you even wanted? Like, is there is there a craving?
1: Mm, That is an excellent question. And I really appreciate you asking that. Um, I think that's one of the pieces that made me realize that I was ace because everyone was talking about these desires, these urges, um, a lot of what the mainstream has told us is that like, you have a kiss and suddenly you're in bed. And like, that's the, that's what happens. But um, for me, my sexual desire is a lot more nuanced. It requires patience, it requires safety, it requires time. Um, I know that my sexual desire and just my sexuality in general is not going to thrive in spaces where I feel rushed or pressured. Um, And by pressured, I mean like, oh, I should have an orgasm. Why haven't I had an orgasm by now? Like, I need space. I need time. I need partners who are going to be gentle with me. So these are things that I figured out through a lot of trial and error. Um, And again, that's why this this space of of masturbation can be so helpful, because if you are able to sort of replicate what feels good for you and what feels safe for you, then that means that you can use that information and give it to other people. I'm curious. Um, Like, it sounds like, I want to make sure I'm understanding, because it sounds like we're saying a couple
2: different things at once. On the one hand, it is possible to just accept that there is that you're not feeling craving and then just say, like, this is okay. I'm not broken. Um or and or right, you could experiment on your own or with a partner to see if you can cultivate those urges. Is is that right?
1: Mm. I think it's a both and. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, and that's why I'm really curious about whether or not Brenda, you identify as ace. I mean, I don't want to prescribe anything, but I'm listening to you as an ace person and I'm like, yeah, that that resonates, you know? Um I think that there is a connection there. Um but I I do believe that it's both and. I do believe that you can say, yeah, I have a low desire or low libido and no, I don't really feel these urges to have sex with myself or other people. And also, I want to experience those things.
3: I think, Avian, the way you said that, um, like, really eloquently um, expresses what I've been, I guess, feeling. Because, um, like, for instance, when Amanda asked me about why there was a question under my question initially, I think part of me felt invalid about asking how to orgasm when I thought I might identify as ace. Because it's like, well, if I'm identifying as asexual, why am I asking for this like I'm cl- like mm. like that doesn't sound right. But then you're saying like, "Oh no, you know, you cannot have these urges and still want to experience it." And it's like, "Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it."
1: Yeah, that's valid.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have any urge to rock climb, but I would like to <laughs> <I> aspire <laughs> to one day be like you. Oh, <laughs> so I get what you're saying that you can be both. Yeah here's our next insight. Sex and sexuality are complicated. And if you don't feel any sexual desire, that's okay. You are definitely not broken. When we come back, we're going to tackle the anxiety and mental blocks that might be making it harder for Brenda. Don't go anywhere.
4: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
2: We're back with our listener Brenda and our expert Evian Whitney. At the beginning of the episode, Brenda mentioned feeling a lot of anxiety and pressure and even having had some panic attacks, which is pretty serious. So how can people deal with intrusive thoughts in the bedroom?
1: Oftentimes when we are in our heads and our minds are going a thousand miles a minute because we're thinking about what our body looks like or what we should be feeling or what we're not feeling, whatever it is going on, just taking a breath can really help to ground us back into our body, ground us into the present and remember that like, oh, yes, we're here. I'm lying on this bed and I am experiencing intimacy with myself or with another partner. So that in the moment can be a really great um, sort of remedy. I think that another way of going about this is to address this outside of a sexual context. So a lot of us Mm -hmm. will be like, oh, my gosh, I am having all these feelings and thoughts as I'm having sex, I need to fix it now. Like um, I would ask that folks take some time and think about like outside of the bedroom, when your clothes are on, you're outside of a sexual context, like where does my mind go Mm. when I start to get in my head during sex? What am I thinking about? You know, what are what are the, the thoughts that are looping around for me? Is it about my worth? Is it about shame? Is it old narratives that were bestowed upon me by old white folks from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago? Like, what is it? Like really identifying where your mind goes. And then having that information is so illuminating because these questions can help us really know more about what is going on underneath Thing hmm.
3: that exploration sounds very doable for me. Um, I'm thinking like I could journal about them. Maybe I can just kind of feel calmer or more confident in in you know like oh okay, well I don't need to be so anxious about these thoughts because yeah, I've, I've, I've given them attention and I don't think I have mm. yet. So I am I intend on journaling on those questions you gave me. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Can I give you two more? Yeah, questions please. to journal on. Okay, because these are the ones that I. That started my sexual liberation journey, and I give them to my clients as well. Um, So the first question is, who do I want to be as a sexual person? And within that question are many questions, like, what kind of sex do I want to have? How do I want to feel when I'm having sex, either with myself or with other people? What are the things that I want to be curious about? So there are many, many questions that you can ask. But the one question is, who do I want to be as a sexual being? And then the other question is, what do I think is preventing me from accessing these parts of myself? And within that question are other questions. Like, what narratives have I been given about desire that are keeping me from being curious about my own Um, What stories have I inherited or internalized? What stigmas or shame has been put upon me about pleasure? You know, like really just going deep and thinking about what are sort of the blockages that are keeping you from accessing your sexuality in ways that feel free, in ways that help you flow and be curious.
2: Okay. So these are great questions. And if you didn't write them all down, don't worry. Evian's book walks you through all of them. And if you're finding journaling awkward, try writing in the third person. It may sound strange, but as we've talked about on the show before, that can help give your brain just enough space to make sense of things.
3: I'm looking forward to journaling about these things because I'm like, do I have an answer? Because I may, I tend to make the error Right, of focusing so much on other people that I forget to focus on myself. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's happening sexually where like, I'm like, I have to make my partner happy. And I want to make sure that they actually get to orgasm. And then I forget to think about myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very afraid of hurting people. So yeah, a story of if I let myself be sexually confused and just act based on that because I haven't figured everything out, I'm going to hurt people,
1: I think is the story I have. Mm. I want to normalize sexual confusion. Mm. I want to normalize people not 100% knowing who they are sexually in a world that is constantly telling you who you should be, but it doesn't quite fit. Like, I want to, I want to normalize this feeling of, like, I don't really know who I am and I don't really know what I want, but I'm excited to learn. And I think that's what I hear from you, Brenda. I remember being your age and you're like, not that, not that far away from me, but like, I remember being in my mid twenties thinking like, I got to figure it out. And I thought that there was a particular place that I would land. Like by 28, I'll figure it out. I'm almost 35 and I still am sexually confused. There's aspects of my sexuality that feel a lot more set and I feel a lot more comfortable and confident in, but I'm always changing. And so this year you might be in a place of like, I don't know, I might be ace. And then next year it's like... I'm definitely not ace, like I have sex all the time, I'm feeling super horny all the time, like I have sexual attraction to people. Like I I want for you, Brenda, to give yourself space and grace to become the sexual being without forcing yourself to be in a particular place.
3: You definitely help normalize that experience. Um, This is, you know, like I'm not fully comfortable with it, right? but I'm definitely getting there and what you're saying is very um, soothing. Um, And also Mm. hearing you describe, you know, your own experience. It's like, oh, there's there's hope for me because I feel so similar to what you're describing. And it's like, well, then if you can do it, hopefully I can do it.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You are not broken. Like, I want to say that for the record. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with you, Brenda this takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability and i just want to acknowledge the work that you did in order to mm-hmm. like get here and be here like the amount of tenderness and also trust like mm-hmm. i don't think you know me mm-hmm. like yeah. you know you're you're trusting these these really precious and very personal and intimate parts of you with strangers and so i just wanted to acknowledge that um and thank you thank you for bringing this to the table mm-hmm.
3: Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, as we talk, it's just you and everyone, wild strangers are just the, the way you talk feels very comfortable and safe and validating. And I, I, right, there's been a lot of feelings I've been struggling with. So I really appreciate having a space to feel comfortable and talking about it.
2: Thank you to Brenda for sharing their story with us and to Evian for all the useful advice. Make sure to look for their book and podcast, Sensual Self. Do you have a tricky problem? You don't know who to ask? That's why we're here. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. If you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Katie Shepard produce the show. Our theme music is by Hannis Brown, remixed by Mara Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.